Welcome, welcome to Freaked Out with your co-hosts, Liz and Landon. What's up, everybody? Today, we will be covering the episode of Aubrey Damerin. We have been waiting to cover this episode for a while. It actually really pissed me off that we couldn't find much about this case, but here we are. We looked all over, and this is what happens when trans people go missing since it's so controversial. It is sad, but true, and if she was born white or born female, then she might have more information out there. The fact that she's indigenous as well as being trans, well, she basically had no chance of being noticed, getting any attention in the media whatsoever. If you know anyone related to her, try to share. Share in all the groups of unsolved cases, whatever you can. We want this episode out there and loud and on all social media platforms. A lot of reasons as to why this is extremely scary for trans people at the moment is because there are a lot of groups out there that are part of this like anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ community. These groups will stalk trans people and gay people and find moments that these trans people are alone and they either beat them or they kill them, really whatever suits them better. They even disguise themselves as potential suitors. It's pretty fucked up. This happens to every type of trans person. There is, but mostly male to female trans. What that means is that the person was born with male genitalia that does not match their brain or how they feel on the inside, and they completely disassociate with that gender, and that is on both sides, female to male, male to female. Let's get started on the case of Aubrey. So Saturday, March 16th, 2019, it was a perfect ordinary day in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or so they thought. A woman by the name of Pam Smith was waiting for her brother Christian to bring back lunch. She decided at that moment she wanted to check Facebook, and she had seen something that really turned her world upside down. It was a message about her niece Aubrey, nicknamed Shorty. Pam contacted the sheriff's office of Delaware County, 90 miles from Tulsa. The county is part of the Cherokee Nation where Aubrey lived. The sheriff's department was able to confirm that Aubrey's family had reported her missing. At that moment, Pam started to ask the dispatcher questions in relation to the disappearance. The dispatcher then automatically informed her that she needed to reach out to the family. Pam called her sister Jennifer, Aubrey's mother, who said that she had last seen Aubrey about a week before. Jennifer said that she woke up at 3.30 in the morning, walked down the hallway to the restroom, and saw that Aubrey was walking out of the side door, which goes to a carport. And she said that she was wearing a black jacket, black top, black skirt, knitted black pantyhose, and some black boots. I find it extremely odd that she just so happened to wake up at 3.30 in the morning walking down the hallway and asking Aubrey all these questions. Except for the fact that why are you leaving at 3.30 in the morning? Yeah, that's also very unusual. Jennifer had told Pam that Aubrey said she was going out to meet someone and she never returned. Aubrey was 25. She was described as a beautiful soul. She was a Cherokee woman, and she was proud and happy and had her life full of future plans. Aubrey was also epileptic, and people were worried because she had left all of her medicine behind. Which is another thing if you knew your child was epileptic, and why would you be, like, okay with them leaving the house without their medication or anything? Or at least reminding them, you know? The family did not waste any time and they tried to obtain how to figure out where she was. 
Well, let me correct that. Some of the family did not waste any time. Now, Pam and her brother reached out to the Delaware County Sheriff's Office and spoke to the police captain in charge of Aubrey's case. And they all got to work. They put out word on social media asking for volunteers to help search for her. The Cherokee Nation Reservation is 7,000 square miles, almost the size of New Jersey. The reservation is dotted with cities and small towns, but also includes a vast rural area. They all started in the most logical place, outside of Aubrey's, a ranch-style home on the outskirts of Grove, Oklahoma, one of the towns on the reservation. Now that's where Aubrey lived with her mother, stepfather, and brother. And actually, from time to time, other family members. They had even looked into the surrounding ponds and could not find anything leading to Aubrey. They even went as far as going through the ring cameras they had seen to see if anybody caught anything and nothing was on any sort of ring doorbell, video cameras whatsoever. They felt that it could potentially mean that she wasn't far from home. Now, Pam and Christian have walked down the road where the neighbor had another ring doorbell and across the road there was actually a house with a sock with blood on it and the sock was sent off to be tested. Everyone started to assume that the crime was now a hate crime. I can only imagine for her growing up in Oklahoma as a trans woman, it was certainly not easy in any capacity. The laws in certain states are very unforgiving for those who are trans or part of the LGBTQ community. I do agree that this was definitely a hate crime, and I can envision that all of these pieces, it's crazy to me that we barely have any evidence in any capacity in this situation. Another fact is that she would actually be assumed to be Caucasian, and automatically she would tell everyone she was Native American. She would always make sure to bring it up within the first few minutes of a conversation, and she did wear it as a badge of honor. She was not treated very well in the community. Her and her uncle were constantly being called homophobic slurs. Christian, who was her uncle, also very close in age, never told anyone about this until after Aubrey went missing. They had been chased away from school by people in their vehicles, and they were screaming obscenities to them. Aubrey often held her head up high as she walked. Uh, She was graceful, and she had stage presence when she entered a room. Her family also had a very hard time accepting her as being trans because it was very new, and they didn't understand. Eventually, the family got to a point where they were used to it, Although it was a difficult transition for everyone, everyone, according to sources, still loved her. There were also other issues surrounding the police. The police were not taking this case seriously at all. Shocking. Captain Wells asked Pam why she believed Aubrey had gone missing, and she had indicated that Aubrey could potentially be a gullible, naive type of female, and he said that we don't believe that she's a missing person, and they could never really give them an answer as to why she was missing or why they didn't feel like she was a missing person. Captain Wells also told Pam Smith that Aubrey wasn't missing because of her, and I quote, lifestyle, as what he said. Being transgender is not a lifestyle. You know, a lifestyle choosing would be like being a vegetarian or wanting to be like a cop or a fitness model or something like that. You can't choose to be part of the LGBTQ community. Sounds like this captain, which I don't believe he's entitled to being called a captain because he should be protecting and, oh, I don't know, serving. Protect what exactly? The white man, not a woman part of the LGBTQ community, or a woman that is native for that matter. 
Pam stood up for her niece, telling the captain that they didn't want to save her life and she was not worth saving because they don't agree with her, quote, lifestyle. The captain had indicated to her that they just don't have the resources or the manpower, and they also said that they still just don't believe that Aubrey is missing. Don't have the manpower? Isn't that when you call upon assistance from others? I don't know. Right, other surrounding towns, something. The FBI? (laughs) You know, so just kind of brush it under the rug, because why bother trying? Well, the police basically just blamed her for being trans. Lynette Graybull, founder and director of Not Our Native Daughters, dedicated to increasing awareness about missing and murdered Indigenous women, says that the Native communities are used to the the blame-the-victim attitude from law enforcement. Well, the sock came back and the tests were inconclusive. So devastating, honestly, and the sock coming back, uh, nothing on it, takes us back to nowhere. So there was no physical evidence yet indicating what might have happened to Aubrey. The other thing that we felt worth mentioning, a year or two before her disappearance, Aubrey had left town. She actually ended up living with a new boyfriend in New Mexico who had taken her to Colorado to end up having the breast augmentation surgery. When she returned to Oklahoma, they say that not everyone appreciated the changes. As if that matters. According to Pam, her relationship with her boyfriend was far from healthy. She had come back from New Mexico to stay again in Oklahoma because the relationship was not good. She had always felt like she had owed him something, and he'd always make comments about how he would get her. Let's just say this case really had slim pickings when it came to evidence or anything to assist. No one had come forward indicating they had talked to her beforehand either. The other concerning thing is that her mother, her brother, and her stepfather seemed like they weren't too concerned about finding Aubrey. That breaks me as a mom of a trans daughter. I've had nightmares about it, so that's pretty messed up. Finally, after three months of when Aubrey went missing, there was a tip that came in. A friend of hers had stepped forward, and there was a flagpole in town And apparently, people had been spreading rumors that she was buried up there. They took out a search and rescue team up to the hill right beside the flagpole. They had two canines sniffing for any sign of Aubrey. They both hit on the same spot. They found what looked like a shallow grave, and they also found a jacket similar to what Aubrey had been wearing before she left home. They were not able to search because the anthropologist was on vacation, potentially, due to being Memorial Day weekend and apparently couldn't come back until Tuesday. Did not find anything other than an animal bone when they were able to search, though. They had also found a basketball jersey not too far away as well. It was never determined if those items of clothing belonged to Aubrey or not. Sixteen months later, the case was moved to a tribal police and the FBI, which they did have much more resources at the time than the sheriff's office could potentially be able to even assist with. Due to the large amount of time before the tribal police and the FBI were able to come in on this one, they lost critical and crucial evidence and they lost time to assist her. It was disheartening to know that she could have been helped a lot sooner if things had happened 16 months earlier. According to Captain Wells, he indicated that he had dealt with many different people, including creed, nationality, sexual orientation, and gender, and he had stated that due to Aubrey's connection to drugs, 
was the reason that he felt like this case was going to be difficult because he felt like she may have come in contact with somebody in the drug ring. I personally believe that he had dealt with many different cases in the past, but I do feel like he really put zero effort into this particular case. He could have done way more, in my opinion, and he may feel as though he did enough, but he knows he didn't. He's just trying to save his butt from criticism. Exactly. Dealing with different types of people doesn't mean you deal with them all the same way, which because Aubrey was trans, he dealt with her case much differently than he would, let's say, a white cisgender person or male. Aubrey's new team was able, though, to determine that the jacket and the jersey did not belong to Aubrey. In Aubrey's home inside of the shed, there was a baby pool, and in the baby pool there was a tarp, and the dogs had also hit on that spot, and they had found potentially DNA indicating that she was in there in the shed. Unfortunately, because this was not investigated sooner, they weren't able to do much and they're still trying to obtain a warrant to get back onto the property to see if they can find anything. The family, meaning Aubrey's stepfather and mother, are not giving any consent for them to go back on the property. This is the most despicable thing I've ever heard. Now I know that this one is definitely a hard case and it's taken quite a bit of time for you to get through, but can you tell us... Can you feel Aubrey? I sadly can feel Aubrey. Her energy was easy to find, but it was hard for me to talk to her on my own for my own personal reasons. But we did get talking a little bit. I did have to take some breaks and quite a few breaks to hear her story. Also want to point out that I was not able to get everything that I wanted. So eventually there may end up being another part to this story. Well, let's start with this boyfriend situation. Is there any sort of connection to him? No, not at all. He was dramatic for sure. He's even more emotionally abusive, financially abusive. One of those guys who like to be in power. And anytime that Aubrey had any sort of thoughts or feelings on something, he'd always make her feel like shit about it. She shows me he was a dick and not the kind of guy that she deserved. She says he was not someone who would have killed her, though. She says she hopes that someone will be able to clear him at some point. I understand why they assumed that it was him, though. Seems like he's a bit of a shady character. From what I grasp, he's afraid of his own shadow. Definitely not someone who can kill her in cold blood, but I do agree. Pretty shady. All right, well, anything she would like to tell us? She shows me so many different things at the same time. But basically, there were a lot of people in her community that stuck their noses to her, even a few people who were gay. A lot of people just didn't understand, and she did get picked on quite a bit. Yes, people would chase her. She also shows me she had a few instances when she was punched in her face. She told me she had been beaten up a few times, and all of these crazy things that did happen, most of the time she just ignored it, something she even kept from her Uncle Christian. I can only imagine how many people have dealt with this in this type of discrimination. I definitely have as well, and a lot of this types of stuff does happen, and Oklahoma and other states and specifically in Oklahoma certain parts where they're completely against it. She says that there was a lot of threats made. There were a lot of things that took place. I even feel like there was a guy who was gloating about killing her because he wanted 
all trans people dead. It looks like this guy could have gone to school with her or could have been around the same age as her. Definitely a jock. I feel like there was some sort of affiliation with football or lacrosse. I'm not entirely sure, though. But from what I gather, it is someone who openly hated her and openly made threats about killing her and hurting her. And after she had died, he had not only made suggestions that it was him, I feel like he was the one who started the rumors about her body being buried by the flagpole because it looks as though it is exactly where he wanted to bury her. But she tells me, although this guy will eventually be investigated, some people did rat him out. She shows me that he also did not hurt her. Ironically enough, she shows me that there may have been a sexual encounter in their younger years, and this could be the reason he hated her so much. She kept it a secret, though, and uh, she feels like he didn't deserve this secret to be kept, which is why we're putting it out there today. This guy pretended that he was not gay and he thinks it's wrong, so he would do anything to hurt somebody who was trans or gay. He's triggered by them, especially Aubrey, since she was his first sexual experience before she had transitioned. This happens too often. Those who struggle with knowing that they're gay or part of the community, they like to torment other people because it's easier than just admitting to themselves that they are, in fact, part of the community. Although a lot of people that are not necessarily speaking up about this at the moment feel like it can be him, they may be worried about coming forward for whatever reason, but it's not him. She just wants everyone to know that he's gay, though. And although he hated her, and although there's a lot of hate crimes going on, this guy was definitely not the one to hurt her. Well, we eliminated a few suspects, even though we didn't really talk about this guy because I don't think the media knows about it. But what happened that night? Okay, so I know she did not have the best relationship with her family, her mother or her brother, and certainly not her stepfather. They were all constantly fighting. And I mean constantly. It didn't matter what it was over, but they always fought. I feel like the mother just pretended there were no issues and put her nose to the air. I feel like the stepfather definitely treated her and her brother, even the mom, like crap. But they didn't really stop anyone from removing themselves out of this toxic situation. I don't feel like it was a consistent issue all the time, but things were escalating as time progressed and things did get violent a few times as well. I'm assuming that he was definitely a drinker I'm not entirely sure, though. She still has a bit of fear of this guy. In fact, she has quite a fear of him that she doesn't really show me his face. She just shows me an angry, aggressive guy that would drink in a wife beater that was always dirty. She doesn't really talk too much about her brother, only that the relationship wasn't the best. Sometimes they got along, but in reality, they didn't have a lot in common. I feel like the brother was very standoffish and closed off and really didn't put too much effort into anything other than his own life, let alone anyone else. She said she shows me she feels like there were bigger reasons for that, but she didn't necessarily feel bad for him or good for him. She said she felt indifferent when it came to him. Well, let's talk about her mother. How was her relationship with her mother? 
distant. She said she doesn't blame her mother entirely for their relationship issues. She says that her mother did try a few times, but from what she says, it was more of like a coexisting relationship. They did fight as well. I believe her mother did not want her to be in the house anymore. She wanted her to move out, and they fought over that a lot. It was extremely uncomfortable. She shows me she didn't want to leave because she was scared and she didn't want to go out in the community being trans and being killed and she just felt safer there for whatever reason, although she said she shouldn't really have felt safer. They also fought a lot about the stepfather. He was a problem as well for her. He was not okay with her being in his home. As he called it, he also had gotten into a few fights with her, physically and not physically. She shows me that he was not someone that she ever had a good relationship with. And she said he had like this evil demeanor. She keeps showing me a belt. I don't know if it's because he was physically abusive or whatever the case was, but the belt is pretty significant to her. She kind of shows me she's afraid of it. She says he was a pretty lazy individual, never wanted to be bothered. He did have a few friends and family members coming over all the time. That's the part where I'm a little bit confused. She shows me that everyone that was connected to him directly that would come and visit did not like her at all. And they would make it known by making comments. I don't feel like anyone ever gave her the proper pronouns, especially her stepfather. So what did he do? He wanted her gone. He had his drinking bunny, a.k.a. cousin, I'm not sure. Definitely someone related to him. It's very hard to figure out, to be completely honest. It could even be a neighbor. But anyway, it's another male figure that had a relationship with the stepfather, and he would talk to him constantly about the stress with Aubrey, in fact, with all the kids, and she was the most problematic one in his eyes. I feel like the plan was for this guy to invite Aubrey to come and have some drugs with him in the shed. And I feel like the guy's plan was, you know, to get her hopped up on drugs and let her OD and he also would do the drugs alongside of her. I see that it was an injection type of drug. So like heroin? I think so. I see that it wasn't really her type. I feel like she was having a bad few months and figured, why not? She decided to go for it. He made it sound pretty decent. She had one injection, and from the sounds of it, she also had a second one, but the second one was forced upon her. She shows me that even after the second time around, she was still alive and breathing. He didn't want to waste any more drugs on her. He still couldn't believe that she hadn't OD'd, but she was still alive and talking. She was in and out, though, and she shows me she just remembers a bag being placed over her head. I asked her how she knew it was a bag, and she said it was the same bag that he had the drugs stored in. It smelled of drugs, and she said some sort of cleaner as well. She said she didn't really have the strength to pull the bag over her head, and she tried her hardest, and he was definitely holding it closed. She started to lose breath, and she said she was coughing a lot, and then she was gone. She also wanted me to point out another little detail I think that the drugs that were injected in her, maybe the second time around, had some sort of like cleaner in it as well. That's so crazy. Did they use this tarp that was in the pool to dispose of her body? Looks like it was definitely used. I don't feel like the body is on the property anymore. I do feel like this guy and the stepfather ended up moving her elsewhere. I'm pretty sure it was a fire pit. She was extremely heavy, and she shows me that they struggled a lot to carry her and kept banging their knees. 
I'm not sure where she is at this point. I haven't spent enough time with her to get that information as of yet. Now, do you know if there's any sort of association with the pond that the police officers believe that she's in? I really don't believe so, but I do feel like they have other locations that they feel like she may be, and they will obtain a warrant to go back on the property and be able to get information there. I do feel like there will be DNA as well that does come up, but at the same point, maybe even a couple of lost clothing articles may be found as well in that area. I feel like something along those lines will also pop up. Do you feel like you're going to get a chance to speak with her again? Oh, absolutely. There will be an update here at some point. I would say within the next year, I feel like we're going to get an update. By the way, one of our viewers had provided us with some feedback indicating that they weren't a fan of the part ones and part twos of the episodes. We're not very much a fan of them either, but unfortunately, we can't make these episodes any longer at the moment. On top of that, Liz has approximately a week or less sometimes to be able to try to communicate, write up the episode, and be able to get this out in time and also get us to be able to record. And also, a lot like this episode, sometimes she just doesn't get enough information and then when they come back, when the spirit is more comfortable, we can get way more information. I know it's tough to see a couple of parts of episodes, but just also understand that we do have so many cases and we want to dip our hands in each and every one. Any location, we can help out in any capacity. We just want to continue to keep making sure this podcast grows and having more and more people listen. So continue to share and continue to be part of this as we grow. We are excited to be here and we love every one of you. We just want you guys to know that we have some things out of our control and some things in our control. Unfortunately, can't, you know, please them all. But I can assure you that the part two episodes will always be that much better. So please be patient with us. We're working every single day to come up with ways to make things better for you. I'm pretty disappointed I wasn't able to get as much as I would have liked to get from her, but one day at a time, and I know we'll get to the bottom of it at some point. All right, guys, until next time, stay freaked out.